Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to show 275, Driven to Change. I think my um, computer and uh, blog talk radio are a bit out of sync, so I hope that everyone can hear me now because I think we started early and that's uh, unusual. But anyway, so, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about how we can prepare organisations and more importantly the people within them for change in an ever-changing world. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there's a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom to join our newsletter list. We mail out every week. And then our social media links are there too. So there seems to be an echo, which is at uh, our guest's end. But I'm not sure. I'll sure. introduce my guest today, who's Amrit Sandar, who's the engagement coach. Hi, Amrit. Welcome to joining Hello, us. Hello, Joe. Welcome um, to the show. Hi. Thank you, you very can much. hear me. That's good. And the echo's gone. Have you just done something? Or is, oh, no, it's still there. I haven't Funny, done anything. We didn't have it when we were preparing, did we? <laughs> <laughs> can you hear the echo? I can't hear it from here, no. Oh, I wonder if it's just me. Hmm. Okay, well, we'll continue. I hope that uh, other people can't hear us as well. Lovely. So start by telling us a bit about uh, who you are, what you do. Sure. So um, I work for a company, The Engagement Coach. Um, set that up uh, about four years yeah. now. But if I start back, I'll try not to bore you silly, but um, I actually started my life off as a pharmacist uh, many, many years ago and mm-hmm. um, spent a good five, six years hands-on uh, the front end with patients, uh, GPs working in community practice, and then very quickly went into uh, operations. So area manager, divisional manager, uh, looking after the UK operations for healthcare. And it was whilst I was doing that role, um, I was already looking for my next challenge, and I was then approached to head up employee engagement um, for a, a very large organization. So for ASDA, uh, 175,000 people. And um, firstly, I didn't know what engagement was. And secondly, it was in HR. And I, there were two big hurdles I had to overcome um, and never looked back. Absolutely loved it. Uh, then after that, I went on to work for the best companies, Sunday Times Best Companies to Work For, where my role was going out to boardrooms to help them understand uh, the data, the survey data, but also what they could do with it. Um, and as I said, set the engagement coach up about four years ago. And now uh, we've had some uh, great, great uh, pieces of work where we've worked, worked with some great clients and built some great relationships with a lot of HR directors. So, uh, and here we are. Lovely. And I'm always really pleased to have retailers on the on the show because that's my background too, particularly supermarkets. So. <laughs> there you go. That's good. <laughs> uh, so we're talking change today. So let's start by uh, just sort of talking a bit about why change is so common I mean I guess there's always been change in the workplace but uh, you know it just seems to be getting faster and faster uh, you know 
currently in all areas of, of society, never mind just in the workplace. Uh, what, what's that doing in the workplace in terms of the challenge it's providing? Oh, change is a, it's a funny concept. So we as individuals, we yearn change. We don't like standing still. Um, and even if it's small changes, but we're always, and it's part of our, uh, the way human beings are made up. We, part of our evolution is survival means we um, strive for better and better and we, we, we yearn change. Yet in an organization, even if it's down to a desk move, it can cause uproar. Um, we don't like change, uh, certainly when it's not when it's imposed upon us, or, or when it, when it's self-directed. And so we, we're in this paradox where our brains resist change; we don't like it, yet we yearn for it. So, in in an organisation, uh, and you'll know from retailing, change can cause a huge amount of disruption in organisations. Um, and often people you'll hear them saying, "Why can't they just leave it as it is? Why are they changing it?" But the pressures of technology, the pace at which we're working now. It's partly driven by technology. There's always on culture um, where we're accessible more and more. And, you know, retailers and uh, certainly the store managers and area managers, you know, often have their phones with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, it's always on culture. And then on top of that, um, this competition, the context that we're facing. So we're having to be better. We're having to f- try and find new ways of, of doing things to improve productivity and efficiency. So, Change is an, an inevitability, yet it can be huge, mm. uh, cause huge turn off. Mm. And as you say, there is that sort of uh, that contrast between needing and wanting to move forward and do different things, but also absolutely resisting it. And sometimes we we say we want to sort of move with the times and and and, and adapt to change. We we sort of rationally say we want to, but actually that's not how we respond when when we need to do that so what why are we resisting change i think it's often um if i take it back to my own example when i set my company up it was the scariest thing i ever did yet i chose to do it it was like jumping off the edge of a cliff and and having no safety net um and and i think this is where this paradox really kicks in it's it's um we we want change because we want to keep improving and we want to move move forward um and so we resist it because it's actually scary so our brains we're wired for security and safety our evolution and our survival actually relied upon this so imagine um being in a in a tribe or a community and you were exiled by being exiled that was as good as certain death so the the status quo the the things as they were it, it ensured survival. It guaranteed survival because we were carrying on doing things as we were. And, you know, yesterday was like today and tomorrow will be like yesterday. And, you know, everything carried on perfectly well. So in our brains, we don't like change. And our brains don't actually like working hard. We are quite lazy. Our brains are quite lazy. And this is where when you start looking at the power of habits, you'll start to see the brains actually, the activity dis, uh, decreases when our brains detect a pattern of uh, habit. Because we don't have to think about something. It's like when, you know, often, Joe, you'll have come across this when you're driving and you think, how did I get here? It wasn't that you weren't engaged. It wasn't that you weren't aware. But actually, your brain had just kicked in into automatic pilot. We uh, are creatures of habit. So when change is either thrust upon us or we choose to do change or, or implement change, it can be scary. And our brains actually go into threat mode. So whilst we want it, we don't like it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And also, I suppose, 
we what we say and how we feel aren't necessarily connected either. It's funny today that we're doing this today. We've got, uh, I mean, a, a choir, a choral society, and we have the leadership battle this evening, the election, and I'm up as one of the, the two chair candidates. And part of the reason is that there's so much change that needs to happen in our choir that isn't happening. <laughs> but, um, you know, I sort of felt the need to step in. But I remember the, 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 one of the people on the committee keeps saying, oh, yes, we want... Um, uh, evolution, not revolution. We want evolution, not revolution. She keeps saying, you know, we want to change, but we don't want to change too much. But it's like her concept of what either of those two things mean are completely different to, to mine, and and that can be some of the issue as well, can't it? It, it can. So there's there's one is the terminology and uh, understanding your frame of reference versus mine. The other bit though is um, how well equipped are we to deal with change? So um, if I was to set my company up again it wouldn't feel anywhere as scary as it was the first time around. Um, it was the uncertainty mm. that was driving that change. Um, I wasn't equipped. I didn't have a, ma- a, a manual or a handbook to deal with it. I was having to, it was like mm. a, an emerging fog. You know, every day I was learning something new. <laughs> and it was in, you know, uncharted territory. I hadn't got a clue. I couldn't predict the world around me. Um, so I think when... But there are things we can do to try and make things easier. And I, and I think that's where when we're going through a change, rather than, you know, in an organization, the culture is going to be in a terrible state when everybody's on edge. Everybody's looking at everything around them as danger or perceived danger. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, one of, it is, one of the aspects are, are you know, the, the differences are frame of reference and terminology. But the other side is um, actually how equipped are we to deal with change? If we had somebody... You're walking me, holding my hand through the fog. Actually, I'd feel slightly better, you know. So there are things we can do to help with change uh, and implement uh, mm. change in a slightly better way. But otherwise, it's it's, it's a frightening thought, I think. Mm, yeah. So so some of this is about uh, being clear with people about what's happening and what what the change is about and why and all that sort of thing. How how can we do that so people feel? Uh, I don't know, more connected to what's happening. I mean, you were saying in your example with, with your business that, you know, if you had more information or if you had somebody helping you who'd been there before, that would have really helped. How, how can we create that sort of certainty for people through through those those challenging change uh, times, changing times? Well, if you think about it, with change across organisations, we're reliant on our managers and our leaders to both cascade the change uh, and help implement it. And uh, there's some interesting mm. statistics. There was a, a poll done by Harris Poll uh, in 2016. It was done for a company called Interact, a uh, communications company, um, uh, of, of around 2,000 um, adults who, who went through the survey. 69% of managers reported saying that uh, in their role as a leader, they felt uncomfortable communicating to their, to their employees. So these are people that we're relying on to implement change, to get people's hearts and minds um, engaged, and yet managers, uh, certainly as Paul, um, suggest that they're, certainly some of them are uncomfortable communicating generally with their employees. So in terms of, you know, we, we all know that clarity is important, they're understanding the why, but we're working with people who may not know how. Um, so we take it as a given, and if I, if I take it back to my example, you know, I remember my first day as a pharmacist. This might sound crazy, but I hadn't at home. I mean, I was a kid who'd just come out of university. At home, I didn't really answer the phone much. So even talking on the phone was a skill that I had to learn very quickly. Um, And if you take it back to managers, 
communicating with employees is something that's quite foundational, but we often don't focus on it, and yet it's critical for change. Mm. So that's an example. And is that, I think. that communicating during? Yeah, is that communicating during difficult times as well? I mean, you know, the average person is not very good at having difficult conversations, are they? So that was uh, generally um, communicating. Uh, it, the, the actual statistic, over a third of, of uh, leaders reported being uncomfortable giving feedback or, 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 or criticism to their, to their employees. So um, that's probably when, during change, people are having to give feedback about you know, involvement and what have you. Um, so there's certainly statistics out there that says uh, we're uncomfortable with it. And um, there's probably far better ways of doing it than we currently are. So what happens is in an organization we go off and create a change program where we implement it. Rarely or not often do we look at the foundations that are needed to create um, the environment for change. Mm. And what, what sort of things are those foundations? When we're thinking about implementing change, as we said, change is just happening anyway. So for a start, we're trying to manage through something that we're not in control of at all, but then we also have what we hope to be controlled change and of course that basically doesn't end up being that controlled either does it but when we have got something coming up and we know that we need to make these changes whether it be a restructure or implementing new processes or or whatever what sort of things should we be doing to kick that off in the right way i mean one of the most important things i think um, is creating an environment of trust um you know you hear this banded around an awful lot certainly you and i will have heard it in engagement circles um and it, it's, a, it's almost a buzzword. We need, to, we need more trust in this environment. Actually, we've never or rarely do we teach managers how to create environments of trust. Now, you know, there's um, some great work by Paul Zak, a neuroscientist who looked into um, oxytocin and the, the role it plays in creating empathy and trust. Now, again, many managers wouldn't know about this, wouldn't know about how you go about creating environments of trust and how oxytocin is a critical factor in that. Um, yet, if we were to teach them, irrespective of change. We're creating environments of trust where should mistakes be made, we're learning from them. We're, we're more open, we're more supportive, uh, we're more compassionate, we're more caring. And, and then when we're implementing change, the environment's far better than one where people are looking over their shoulders, where they mistrust their managers and leaders. Um, if you think about leaders, I remember my time when I was in Best Companies, the Sunday Times Best Companies to work for. Often in, there was a factor on leadership and uh, scores, I would have CEOs ask me about how do I improve my leadership score? And it's hard for employees to build a relationship with a leader. They hardly see them. But even trying to get out to a town hall meeting, whatever else it might be, from a distance, people can start to build a relationship, even from afar. But it's better than never seeing you because then it's building a relationship. It's indifference. So it's trying to help managers and leaders to go about creating environments of trust teaching them elements of psychology and neuroscience. You know, um, there's some, some great psychology, uh, the experiments of cyberball, where uh, if you exclude people, it's the same as physical pain in the brain. Now, whilst we know that, certainly when change is going on, when, it, when the communications plan isn't as robust, some people get excluded. You've got then people whispering and, and, and all sorts of things going on there. They're filling the, the gaps um, with things that may be way off uh, the reality of the situation. But again, it's, um, it puts people on edge in a danger state. Um, so certainly managers and leaders, I think we could equip them far better 
with some elements of neuroscience and psychology teachings that would help them understand how to get the best out of people, how to go about creating environments of trust. And then when change comes along, it just happens to be in a far better place. Mm-hmm. And then even that thing about, you know, some managers don't communicate because they just don't see the need or they think they've communicated but they haven't communicated particularly effectively. And then separately to that, you've got the managers who don't want to communicate because it's a difficult message or because the people are going to be emotional that they're talking to or that it's going to affect them negatively and, and they don't know how to sort of uh, approach that. So there's, there's so many chances of it not working so well. So what, 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 what can we do? I mean, just thinking about your experience working in, you know, a big retail organisation, uh, you know, you start at, at, at the centre and you think, oh, you know, this is what we're going to need to change and this is how we're going to implement it. And, you, you know, you have a whole massive programme and everything else, but you're still reliant on hundreds of managers at all levels of the organization managing it effectively how, how do you do that in you know in, a, in the i mean it's hard enough when you've got 10 employees isn't it <laughs> hundreds or thousands so what, what sort of things can you do to, to equip those managers to, to manage those programs better i think um <clears throat> partly the, the, some of these basic skills that i mentioned in terms of um uh, you know the, the creating the environment of trust but the other part is um, yeah. I mean, so one of our leadership development programs, we often play a game, which is called a translation game. And um, it's really interesting when you see the dynamics between two people, um, where one person's got to articulate instructions to the other person, and there's only one way communication allowed. And you see it, I mean, this is only a game, but you'll see people getting quite angry, hot-headed, temper, you know, the tempers are fraying, and, and yet this is just a game, because people can't understand why the other person doesn't understand them, they can't get it. And it's only when we start to see other mm. frames of reference that we can open up people's minds to say, it's black and white from where you are. It's completely binary. Either you get it or you don't. But look at the other person's perspective. And often, mm. and partly this is technology-driven, partly this is the context that I mentioned earlier, we are working at such pace. I only have the capacity to see my view of the world. And usually, because we're working at pace, it's not in one of where we can involve people, where we might gain some feedback. It's actually one where I've got to tell you what to do whilst I move on to the next task. Mm. And I think partly that's the, the, the other solution here is, uh, and this is a, you know, uh, an essential rule for engagement, but how do you involve people? Um, I remember I was working for one organization where we spent five years working on an amazing strategy, you know, a five-year plan. It was going to be brilliant. It was going to take the industry by storm. And um, within six months, it was in tatters. And I remember going out, to the checkout supervisors and talking to them. And they said, I can't believe they didn't see this coming. You know, there were competitors out there who were just ripping the market apart. And they knew that four years ago mm. because they were out there on the front end. And it's like, if you take back me back to my sort of biology, my pharmacy days, the cell of a, a, a you know, a biology, um, a, a typical cell, the more receptors it has on the outside, the more it can respond to its environment. And often in, when we're doing change, we, we rely on one or two receptors rather than all the receptors we could have. So, if we could help managers and leaders understand the impact of involvement, instead of slowing us down, it'll actually make us go faster because we're heading in the right direction as opposed to potentially the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And potentially you've got more buy into it all along because those people are involved in it. But do you think sometimes we sort of manage a bash, if you like, and sort of managers end up thinking, leaders end up thinking that they've got to, know everything they've got to make all the decisions because they're the ones in authority who are sort of driving the strategy and 
and and you know regardless of whether they've got a natural tendency or not or they know they should sort of enable voice within their, their team whether they just sort of plow on because they feel that it's their responsibility yeah and i i, I it, just for clarity i actually hate the whole manager bashing i've in my experience and all the work we've done with organizations I actually see uh, managers holding an um, umbrella over their teams, protecting them from the onslaught of mm, what's coming down. Mm. Um, they're working really, really yeah. hard and leading to it. When you meet the individuals and you go into organizations where the culture isn't conducive, you sit there thinking, well, how's that happened individually? They're all brilliant people. Um, and often it's not because they're bad or they're, they're, they're incapable. It's just because they haven't been given the skills or been taught. So often, if you imagine a finance director, is being brought into a role purely for that, or an operations director is brought into the role to help improve, you know, to drive operations, and then on top of that, they're being driven or they're being asked to drive change programs. Well, firstly, that wasn't ever part of their remit, uh, and secondly, how do they do that? And rarely do we equip them with the skills to do it. We just expect them to go off and implement change. Um, and the same then with managers. You know, they've got enough things to do in the day, in their day job, and then on top of that, we're asking them to implement change. So these cascades happen, but the support behind them doesn't always go in. So it's not that the management mm-hmm. leaders aren't very good. It's actually we're not supporting them to be the best they could be. And they're brilliant in what they do. It's just we're asking them to do something completely different, which is something they never chose to do, but it's an inevitability of life now. And so it's how can we support them better mm. through leadership development programs? Yeah, and from, from that sort of organisation integrity point of view, what about that, that gap between the... the sort of the really senior leaders that you know the c-suite or, or whatever um, we might be referring to them as and and the rest of the managers because i i think sometimes that's part of the issue that that at the senior level this is the strategy and this is what we need to implement and then we sort of offload it to the what you might call the middle managers or certainly the next sort of level of managers but then there's an inconsistency between what the senior managers are doing and what they're expecting of their other managers and that i think sometimes is the issue and the, the comment you made about the umbrella thing, you know, protecting their people. You, you often see managers, don't you, that are, are, are doing that, protecting them from what's what's going on, you know, more senior to them, above them, because actually that's not consistent with what they're being told to do within their team. Yeah, I think this is where um, some of the senior leaders, It's an, again, it's inevitable that as you grow through the organisation uh, and hit the C-suite, you are that much more detached from the reality of what's currently going on. So when yeah. ideas and concepts are being thought of and change programs are being implemented, often the cascade begins there. And it's just, here's what we need to do. And you know, leaders will think they've, they've done a great job in cascading or communicating the reasons why. Um, and there may be no issue in that. What they often miss, though, is getting feedback from their teams to say, what do you think? And at that point, we could probably... You know, relieve them from an awful lot of heartache. But instead, these senior leaders who don't want to um, come across as incapable go off and try and do the best they can. I remember my time when I was in operations, and I used to have, you know, I had 27 units in one one time, and I had almost 130 different sites I used to go to. And I was amazed at how one perceived very clear communication could be made into so many different versions of the truth when you went out to site. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it wasn't that they were incapable. It wasn't they were trying to do a bad job. But they didn't understand. I mean, from their perspective, the instructions didn't make sense. So clearly, this is what they must mean. 
Yet, if any of that, at the beginning of that process, had we sat down and gone through to say, does this make sense to you guys? We could have solved an awful lot of problems by the senior leaders saying to us, senior managers saying to us, do you know what? That doesn't make any sense because here's the view of the world from, from where we're mm. sat. Um, so I think there's yeah. this, this involvement is a critical thing you know, within the communication, this whole feedback mechanism. Uh, we all know this. In engagement, we know that this is it's common sense. It, it, it's critical. Yet so often, because of the pace at which we're working, uh, the time constraints, the, 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 all the stuff we have to do, and this is on top of our day job, it ends up being a cascade. Um, and I think there's some real misses there of uh, how we can really implement change properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just moving into the last five minutes of the show, what, what sort of top tips, soundbite, have you got for our listeners about moving forward with this and, and making... Uh, you know, their organisations are more ready for change and their, their managers more equipped for it? I think um, one of them is certainty. How do we improve certainty? So when change is going on, there's all, it's all about uncertainty. How can we improve the communication so we can create, drive more certainty? How can we help people understand why uh, we're doing what we're doing? How can we involve people so they can, we can get a better view of the world? Um, an acknowledgement that we are changing the way it's working. But, you know, um, there's been various reports and case studies where even bad news was better than no news because people could go off and then plan. Yeah. So people want to be able to go off and plan and, and uh, create certainty. So I think whenever we're doing change, the first thing is um, we know this is creating uncertainty. How do we now fill the gap to provide certainty? And, you know, going back to our retailing days, often you'll find organizations will try and protect their employees from bad news. Actually, that was just making things worse. People want to know the truth so they can yeah. go off and plan. They're adults, um, and that's all they want. So one of them is certainty. Um, I think after that, though, once we've and, and we can go off and, and start to create an environment of trust, as I mentioned, you know, um, getting people to uh, build environments, trust that transparent communication, getting people involved. Um, after that, then, I think the other bit is, and part of that is with leaders, the, you know, the visibility. Once people can start to see people in action, they they build an impression of them, and the impression is actually that person seems all right. You know, she she seems quite nice, and he seems very pleasant, and that helps create that environment of trust, even for, for leaders from afar who are very distant from the, from the front line. The other bit though is then, uh, how do we go about creating um, change? Because we're then fighting habits. So once we've got certainty, the other part then is habits. And I think we rarely do we sit down and, and start to map out some of the habits that are, that are ingrained in organizations. What are the habits we're fighting? And some of them are so ingrained that actually they'll never change. How can we start to tweak some of the habits? So rather than changing um, everything, how can we bolt things on? So it might be, you know, this is a, this is a small example, silly example, if you like, but, you know, it might be that 11 o'clock in the morning, I love going for a coffee. Well, actually, how can I, and the reason for that is because I just want to have a break from my desk and, and I quite like to socialize when I go for a coffee uh, before I go back to my desk. Well, could I, 11 o'clock, have a one-to-one with my team member for 15 minutes um, whilst I'm having a coffee? I could. And so it's, it's trying to nudge changes in rather than making it completely wholesale, disrupting the organization. These ingrained habits, how can we benefit from them and use them? Uh, but we need to do, map them before we start to, to do that. So certainty and habits, I think, are two areas that if we could do an awful lot with, uh, combined with creating that environment of trust and security where we're learning from mistakes, we're not afraid to challenge, where we're happy to involve people 
uh, and we're building strong relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so key. Lovely. So, um, just got a couple of minutes left. Um, any last summary, last last line? <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, well, I, I think um, there's an awful lot. Um, one of the key things I think we need to do in helping managers and leaders, um, it's an old-fashioned principle of reflective practice. But it's one, when I was an area manager, mm-hmm. I was taught this um, in a hard way, actually. I had a fantastic manager, and we were getting great results. And um, she asked me to go and reflect, and I didn't understand the question because I was her best-performing manager. She saw something I didn't see. I was working too hard. Um, whilst I was getting results, it was at what cost? And I... Uh, it took yeah. several weeks to understand the concept of reflective practice, but taking time out to think, to put everything back into its boxes, it's a critical skill. And it's one that I'm an absolute advocate for now, sort of nine, 10 years of doing this week in, week out. Yeah. And I think that's one of the ways that we're never going to stop the pace of work, but how can we build mm. time in? So we get thinking time because as human beings, we need time to think. Um, and I think mm. that's going to be also, mm. also very conducive to uh, helping with, uh, with change. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. That's a really good end to that. Thanks, Amrit. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So, talking to a returning guest, uh, Scott Gould, who um, has a fairly new assessment tool that he's developed to measure engagement in any context, so not just with employees. So we'll be talking about how that works and talking about engagement in more general terms. So I look forward to speaking to you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.